Welcome here, Midland Free. Was that good or what? Wow. Amen. I'm so glad I can hang out behind stage and you don't see me dancing and jumping around and doing silly stuff right before we start, but it is good. It's good to be in God's, uh, well, to be with God's people. My name is Jeremy. Welcome here. We're delighted you're here to worship with us today. Um, last week, my boys and I, that's Ezra and Zion, and plus one, Noah Hunt, he's a 20-year-old young man, took a little man adventure, if you will. We went up uh, to Grayling up north to kayak on the Asabo River, something we do with some friends in church every year. It's a great thing we look forward to and have a ton of fun. Well, along the way, since Noah was there, and he's a teenager, and my boys are, well, boys, uh, they had all sorts of really cool questions for Noah. Questions like, what's the biggest roller coaster you've ever been on? You know, he could talk about Cedar Point, and they could tell their stories, how brave they were <laughs> right before the roller coaster. They would ask things like, who's your favorite basketball player? LeBron James, Steph Curry, Vince Carter, Michael Jordan, all kinds of names came out. What's the fastest car you've ever been in? How fast have you ever been in a car? Like, no, what? <laughs> if you could have any superpower in the entire world, what would it be? And so for the next hour and a half, we discussed the biggest, the fastest, the most powerful of nearly everything there is. As I listened to those questions and the fun conversation, I thought about what it might have been like to have had two boys in Jesus' day. If you were traveling down the road, what questions may they have asked? It certainly wouldn't have been about basketball teams or roller coasters. And yet, no doubt, they asked, as all little guys do, what's the biggest, the fastest, the baddest, the most powerful? Perhaps it was the most powerful miracle worker of the time, or the most prominent prophet, or the strongest gladiator, or maybe the most conquering king ever. Who is the most effective exorcist? Ooh. Questions, no doubt, came up perhaps on the way to Jerusalem for the annual feast. In the book of Mark, Jesus is attracting a lot of attention. Questions are swirling and he's gaining quite the reputation. He's doing all kinds of amazing stuff. Big, powerful, authoritative. Look at what he's doing. Compare the stats. He's cast out more demons than anyone to this point. Why, he's healing people in ways that have never been done before. In fact, he overcame Satan himself in the wilderness. He won debates with the most prominent rabbis. He called to disciples, to fishermen, and told sailors to follow after him. He even commanded demons. Surely this one is unlike any other, destined for the hall of fame or something perhaps even greater. Clearly, he has some special power. The question is not, does he have it? But instead, the question is, where did he get it? Where in the world would a power like this come from? 
In other words, what I'm telling you is in the passage that we're going to look at today, listen carefully, the question is not the force. The question instead is the source. There's no question that there is a force. The question is, is from whence the source? Mark chapter 3 Beginning in verse 22, you will see the greatest power that ever lived. That's the third chapter of the Gospel of Mark in the 22nd verse. In the next few minutes, we're going to discover these three things from this section of Scripture. You will see an accusation against Jesus. You will see, here's a slide if you want it, you can download it or write it down. You will see an answer that he provides against the accusation. And then you will discover the implications that it has for us in our lives. What is the application? How do I put this text into practice? Here it is. The accusation, the answer, and the implications. And the theme is the same, that which we've run into many a time throughout the book of Mark, is that Jesus wins. At the end of the day, despite all of our strivings, Jesus wins. Mark chapter 2, sorry, 3, beginning in verse 22, says this. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him, that's the scribes, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. So in other words, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But here's what's happening to Satan. He's coming to an end. For no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, or as you've heard in other places, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, all sins, all of them, will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, the scribes were saying, that Jesus has an unclean spirit. Mark chapter 3, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's the accusation in this section, and this is absolutely essential for you to understand. I'm going to show you in a few moments why, but, you know, Christians get all twirled up. If you're not a Christian, welcome here. We're so glad you're here. I'm going to talk to both groups today, but if if you've been a Christian for a long time, sometimes the theological debates are like, ooh, what's apostasy, and what's blasphemy, and what's the unpardonable sin, or maybe you struggle with anxiety or insecurity and fear, and you're like, ooh, unpardonable sin. I bet you if there's any sin I've done, I've done that. Or maybe you're the opposite, and you're like, hey, I want to do as many sins as I can, so tell me which one's unpardonable, and I'll stick to the others. (laughs) Whatever the case is, let's clear that up today. Here's the accusation. This is essential for you to understand. The scribes were coming down for Jerusalem, and they were saying, in other words, there's two things we get from that um, verbal form. Number one, they were saying. It wasn't that they said, 
They didn't say it a single time, and we're like, okay, we're done. But instead, they're going around. Everybody's saying the gossip is, this is what the people are talking about in the beauty parlor or at the grain elevator or at the golf club or wherever, the stir, the, mo- the commotion, the latest gossip. They're going around over and over and over again and saying, did you hear? By the way, hey, guess what? And what does that mean? Well, look, they were saying this, let's be clear, not to Jesus, but about Jesus. What do we call that when we talk about someone, but not to someone? They're not talking to Jesus and going up to him and saying, hey, Jesus, you know what? Blowing my mind, dude. I had no idea what's going on here, and I'm not sure that I really like it, but if you could just fill me in and help me understand, maybe I could gain some perspective. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. That's not the approach. (laughs) They've already decided where they're at, and they're working against him, and so they're going around saying to everyone but him, here's the thing. Guess what? They're planting the rumor weed. Now it's going to grow and spring thorns and be ugly and make a mess. He is possessed by Beelzebub. Wow, that's significant. By the prince of demons, he cast out demons. So he's saying they're possessed and his power comes from Satan. In other words, here's the accusation. Hear this clearly. You have to understand this to get this text. The scribes are saying, this is what they are. Here's the te- they're attributing to Satan both the work and the power of God. The work and the power. He's casting them out, but, and he gets his power from In other words, the things that Jesus was doing, they said, Satan does that and Satan gives him his power. So what the substance of the accusation is, is that it revolves around the force and the source of the power saying that the force is demonic and the source is Satan. In other words, one more time, just so you see this clearly, the scribes are attributing to Satan the work and power of God. That's what they're doing. So they come up, they're going around saying about Jesus, they're not talking to Jesus, but Jesus is smart. He knows what's going on. He understands the stirrings in the hallway and the conversations in the parking lot and wherever else. He sees, he feels, he senses, he knows. Ah, there it is. Okay. Why don't you come over here and talk to me for a minute? (laughs) I have a good idea of what you're saying. Come here. And so, verse 23, Jesus calls them to him. (laughs) You guys can stop talking to everyone else. Why don't you just come talk to me? I know what you're saying. Jesus calls them to him. But now he's shifting his tactic. He's moving into the um, period of ministry in which he answers his accusers in parables. He's not going to just blast them, and he's also not going to let it go, but he finds this really neat way of saying, I will extend to you truth if you will accept it. I'll tell it in a story, and if you have the will and desire to pursue it, then you may, and if not, so be it. But here it is. How can Satan cast out Satan? That's silly. You guys, do you understand what you've just accused me of? It's like this. Here's two analogies. One is a kingdom. The other is a house. Either way, the point is exactly the same. If the king is fighting against himself, he will never build up his kingdom. If the house is fighting against itself, it will never stand. Either way, it's going to implode or topple upon itself. You cannot build a structure 
that's pushing opposite directions and have it bear weight. Here it goes, boom, it's like a house of cards. Your logic is absolutely ridiculous. It implodes upon itself. If I'm working for Satan, Jesus would say, then I would be undermining Satan. (laughs) I would be working against the one I'm working for. And that is ludicrous. I don't work for Satan. Instead, it's the exact opposite. I work against Satan. I'm not here to build up Satan. I'm here to tear down Satan. In other words, 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. (laughs) He didn't destroy. He didn't come to build them up. He came to tear them down. And so then, here's a third analogy. This is the one I think is coolest of all. Verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may plunder his house. You heard the prediction earlier read by Joe in our worship. The prophets said or foretold that this would happen. The Baptists proclaimed that it would happen. And now Jesus is doing it in this very moment. He is binding Satan and stripping away his goods. He is plundering the strong man. In other words, what I want you to get out of this sermon, out of this series, out of the entire summer are these two words. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. You've got to come away from that. We have to understand that. We have to live that. We have to believe that. We have to say that to ourselves every single day. I'm serious about that. Can you imagine how different your life would be if each and every morning you actually said this? I'm serious. That's it. As simple as saying Jesus wins every day. And I want you to say it in the morning and in the evening because there's a lot of stuff that happens in between. And sometimes it's easy to say it in the morning when you're waking up and harder to affirm it at night. And sometimes you wake up in the morning, whatever's coming that day, it's pretty hard to say it. But by grace, through faith, you say it and mean it that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Look, he is the biggest, the fastest, the most powerful there ever was. And regardless of what's going on in your life, if you are on his team, you will win. In 1992, uh, NBA players were first allowed to be a part of the Olympics. I can remember that because I was growing up back then, and it was incredible. Nowadays, you know, the big players make a lot of money. They pass because they don't want to sprain an ankle or cut their finger or anything bad like that. But back in the day, (laughs) we're talking about buckets, right, Uncle Drew? Uh, You don't know that. Google it later. Uncle Drew. Anyways, back in the day, back in my day at least, some other days may have been before that, but back in my day, they did have the three-point line at that time, okay? All right. Back in my day, listen to this team. Here's who was on it. Now, the first one, but then listen to the rest. So Christian Leitner, then David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Larry Bird, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, Clyde Drexler, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Chris Mullen, Charles Barkley, and Magic Johnson. On the same team, you had Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and Magic Johnson on the same team. And you're playing against people from Cuba. (laughs) What? 
I'm serious. No offense, but really? This is not a contest in any way. I mean, the point spreads were insane. And Michael Jordan, you know how much he averaged per game? Like six. I mean, they could close their eyes and throw behind-the-back passes to the backboard and still make it. My mom could have been on the team, and they still would have won. I could have played for this team, and it would have been no big deal. They were unstoppable. The competition wasn't even close. This is the way it played out. Check, check my stats, 1992, the dream team. Here's the thing, kids, parents, adults. If you're on Jesus' team, I understand there's a struggle right now. I get it. But here's the way it works. It's like this. You're on the dream team. Jesus is the biggest, baddest, most powerful, unstoppable thing there ever was. So if you think of it in terms of basketball, say there's four quarters. I'll tell you this. We're in the last quarter. This fall, we're going to look at end times and stuff like that. And I'm not some crazy speculationist. But realistically, from the very beginning of time, Jesus has been saying it could happen any day. Here we are, last quarter. And what's been happening is this, is Jesus came to earth, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and he slam dunked it on Satan. He's like, you're not going to win now. But there's still more time left. It's not run out. And so as a result, he says, okay, now I'm going to recruit my team, and I'm going to train them, and I'm going to teach them. And even though it's like a bazillion to zero, they're going to get to go in. It's kind of like when all the stars in the last two minutes of the game go sit on the bench for a little bit, and the guys who are used to wearing T-shirts and never get to play come out, that's us right now. We're the church, and we're out there, and we're like, man, the competition's big. They're big to us, but the reality is it's already like 200 to 5, and Jesus is one. So what's going to happen? Well, we're fighting against a pretty big foe. His name is Satan, and there are going to be times where he knocks us down, and it's going to hurt. And he's going to dunk it on us a few times. But we got to keep looking up at that scoreboard that says Jesus won. And we know if Jesus won, it doesn't matter what happens right now because the game's over. There's only a few minutes left. He's coming back. The buzzer's going to blow. And it's over. Finished. Jesus won. So yeah, it's a struggle. And man, I can't keep up with these dudes. They're way too fast for me, even if they are from Cuba. I'll probably get some little... Cuban dunking on me, but no offense. I like Cubans. I love Spanish, all right? Here's the thing. Not Cubans, Cubans. I love Cubans, but here's the thing. Look, you're on the dream team, and it may feel like forever till this thing is over, but from God's perspective, it's like the last two minutes, and you're sitting there in the end times, and it's almost over and Jesus has already won. And yeah, it feels like an intense game. And you may be sweating and you may be panting. And you may not win every single time back and forth down the floor. But the reality is, God's got this. The game's over. Jesus has won. And so here we are now. We're finding Jesus and, and we're encountering him in the gospel in the book of Mark. And I'm asking you to do a very simple thing. And that's actually get up and believe that. Believe it in the morning. Believe it in the evening. Believe it when you're tired and you don't have any sleep. Believe it when your head hurts and it won't go away. Believe it when your schedule is too busy for you to maintain. Believe it when it's impossible to get everything done throughout the day. Believe it regardless of what's going on in your life. Believe it despite that relationship that's going south. Believe it despite 
the outcome of that meeting, the financial pressures, the start of school, health problems, infertility issues, job loss, parenting, early retirement, aging, cancer, disease, and even death believe. Jesus won. Now that's some pretty bad stuff, and I recognize I'm sitting here feeling all right this morning, but the reality is, no matter what, and I can say this because it's by grace through faith, I believe the Bible. I haven't experienced all the terrible things that are out there, and I'm glad, and I don't want to, and don't expect I'll ever have to. But the reality is this, no matter how bad it is, even if it kills you, even if it takes you out of this world, Jesus still won. Jesus won no matter what, all the time, Jesus wins. And we know that's true because it happened to him. He was killed, he experienced the worst, and yet even though Satan did his very worst, Jesus still won. He came back, he rose, he defeated death. And so now we live by grace through faith, believing that, that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what obstacle we're facing, Jesus wins. He's plundering Satan. And the fun thing is we get to be a part of that process. On my Facebook page today, I put a bunch of titles to, that I would have called this sermon if I was a little bit more gutsy, but I just stuck with plundering Satan for today. But here's the thing. There's some implications for this reality that's going to play out in our lives. See, there's the accusation. They say, you're doing it by Satan. And he's like, yeah, whatever. The reality is, here's the answer. The answer is, he's not doing it by Satan. He's doing it against Satan. And so here's the implications. There's two. One is the present plundering. The present plundering. And the other is the experience of forgiveness. Plundering and forgiveness. Now, here's what's really fun. I get to actually tell you guys today to steal. <laughs> I want you to steal. When you go to lunch today and you talk to your friends from First Baptist or First whatever or whatever, I want them to ask you, what did your preacher talk about today? He taught us how to steal. <laughs> yes. I want you to steal and I want you to steal like Jesus. I want you to pillage and plunder like crazy. I want you to be a pirate or a Viking or whatever you want to call it. But I want you to steal. And here's what I want you to steal. I want you to steal Satan's stuff. In other words, this is like Robin Hood, if you will. It's taking from the bad and giving to the good. This is why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the devil. So let me give you some examples of that here in just a minute. And I'll give you some suggestions for more. Some examples. Some of you are wearing green shirts. Other of you are wearing different color shirts, orange, whatever. It's possible that at that place, you may have done some stealing. Wait, no, no, Pastor Jeff said we can't do that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you go into a dark neighborhood that Satan thinks he owns, and you have a conversation with someone who belongs to him, and you steal them from Satan and drag them to the light. You have just plundered the enemy. You see this happening all the time in the Old Testament. You guys don't realize, you're like, whoa, that Old Testament stuff, it's so crazy. What happens? The Israelites go into dark places. They tear down the idols. They burn them in the fire and they turn around and offer that back up to God. They are pillaging and plundering the enemy. I'm asking you to do the same thing. 
I'm telling you to go into dark places, bring the light, steal his stuff, and take it back. The rainbow doesn't belong to them. It belongs to us. The sign of the covenant. Take it back. Stand for truth. Be real. Tell them about Jesus. Take it back. Pillage, steal, stun, uh, plunder, destroy. You need to do that in so many ways. You need to do that with the gospel. You need to do that in missions, whether you're going to Grove Park, Butler, Thailand, lead the cause, discipleship adventure, wherever. You're going intentionally to another place as an invading army to overcome darkness with light and take the things that have been stolen and free and liberate and redeem them and give them back to God. That's what missions is. It's an aggressive, hostile, intense conflict going on in your life and throughout the world. Take it back. Take it back in your life. The devil tries to steal your joy. You heard Joe say that this morning. Don't let him. Take it back. He's trying to steal it. He wants your mind to go down that track. Pull it back. You can't have that. It doesn't belong to you. He wants to steal your peace. He's going to throw things in your path that will get in your way and try to take it. Take it back. That's not fair. You can't do that. I'm not going to let you have it. It doesn't belong to you. That's mine from Jesus. You can't have it. Your patience. He does all kinds of things to steal my patience. Perhaps some of yours as well. Take it back. Lean in. Don't quit. Keep trying by God's grace. There's no magic formula. It's going to happen over and over again, day by day. I can't give you this plus this equals that. I just say keep trying and don't quit. Lean in. Fight the good fight. Look, your job is to take back strongholds that belong to the enemy. Oh, that's what it says in 2 Corinthians 10.4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh and blood like they were in the Old Testament. Now, you have the divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds like anger. Strongholds like pornography. Strongholds like greed. Strongholds like that one sin that you struggle with all the time that you think you'll never get over. Take it back. Take it back because you're on Jesus' team. It's not because you're strong enough. It's because you ask Him who has the power to help. You can't overcome anything on your own, but Jesus can. So you ask Him, and then you keep asking and keep asking and keep asking and don't quit. Take it back. Take it back. Number one, be a pirate. (laughs) The implications are pillage, plunder, kill, destroy. New Testament Colossians says, put to death, therefore, deeds of the flesh. Be a pirate, ransack the enemy, overcome. You've already been given the authority. That was last week's sermon. Remember, Jesus gave them authority. By his power, by his grace, attack. Number one, the present plundering. And the second implication is the experience of forgiveness. Now, I I more than hinted at this earlier and on purpose. Christians sometimes, oh, man. Unpardonable sin, I probably, I think that was the one I did. I'm in trouble. Or say a certain amount of Hail Marys or whatever. No, that's not it. No such thing. Actually, here's the deal. What happens is this. I think Satan wants you to get worried about the unpardonable sin. I really do. I I think he's more concerned about you being concerned about it than Jesus is. The reason I say this is this, is because if you read this verse again, what you actually see, 
is that all sins, all sins, let me, let me pull up my verse because I think I have the wrong slide there. It's a verse 28. Verse 28, Jesus says in a very Baptist way, if you will, truly or amen, the Greek word is amen, truly I say to you, not the scribes, not tradition, not my denomination, not my pastor, but by the very authority of God himself. When Jesus speaks, it is the words of God. The scribes are shocked. You can't claim that authority. I just did. Jesus says, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. And guess what else will be forgiven them? Blasphemies. Jesus even forgives blasphemy. What? The people who try to kill him can receive forgiveness. The guys who drove the nails into the cross get forgiven. The apostle Paul who's trying to eradicate the church who's working directly against Jesus, is forgiven and becomes the most effective Christian ever. How is that? Well, by the power of God. He's unstoppable. Even his worst enemies. He turns into his greatest friends. So here's the thing. If you're asking yourself this question this morning, have I committed the unpardonable sin? That tells me you haven't. And the reason is, is because if you had committed that sin, you wouldn't be asking that question. You wouldn't even be concerned about it. These scribes weren't. They weren't concerned about it at all. They already knew where they stood. They had condemned Jesus and they had rejected him and they had no interest in him. And so as a result, their position was fixed and firm. They were not asking any questions. They were not out to learn from Jesus, to submit to him or to say sorry Instead, they were out, verse 6 says, to destroy. What? Even that can be forgiven. So what then is the unforgivable sin? Hey, do you remember that slide? What were the scribes doing? In this context, what Jesus is saying, this is the unforgivable sin. Attributing to Satan the work. And we got a slide. Can we show them that real quick? The unforgivable sin. Um, attributing to Satan the work and the power of God. That's what the scribes did earlier. They said, you are doing this work by Satan. You are getting your power from Satan. So in this context, if you want to be specific and you want to ask, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Have you said to Jesus, the work you do is by the power of Satan and that the work you do is Satan. If so, then you're on a bad you're on a bad path. You're moving down the way of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and I would advise you not to do that. But the reality is this: I'm not telling you to sin this morning. I'm just telling you that Mark three twenty eight says this. Here's that slide. Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, all sin. Don't miss that. You focus in on the one little unpardonable sin, the one. And yet you miss the fact that all sins, all sins. Did you hear that, church? All sins will be forgiven, yours and mine. I need that every single day. All sins, 
all of them. Don't you want your sins forgiven? I'm serious. Don't look down at the floor. I'm for real. Every day you need that. You have to have it. And that is what Jesus offers you, that each and every single one of your sins can be cleansed. Not a single one is left out. That's huge. All of your sins, my sins, are forgiven. Here's the implications. Look, you plunder the enemy, you steal, you destroy. Don't worry if it looks like he's going to dunk on you. Jesus has already won. It's like 205 to 5. And there's two minutes left on the game. He's coming back. It's going to be okay. Keep going. Don't quit. Lean in. Steal the ball. The strong man is here. Jesus wins. There's an accusation against him. <laughs> it's ludicrous. He has a clear answer thrice over. Kingdom, house, strong man. And some implications for us. It means take back the strongholds and be forgiven of all your sin. Jesus won. And that means if you submit to him, you are on his team. That means you've been handpicked. This is not a random sign-up, but something that he planned long in advance. He said, you, 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 you. I want you on my team. But I'm not the best. I'm not the biggest. I'm not the baddest. doesn't matter. He is. And now you're on the team. And that means once you're on the team, you don't sit on the bench and pout, but you have a role to play. Regardless of where you're at, you don't sit in those chairs and pout. You have a role to play. You play your hardest, you have fun, and ultimately you win. You know the winning teams out there because they're having fun too. They're enjoying one another. They're passing the ball. The losers, man, they're mad. They're slamming the ball. They're getting upset. They're kicking over chairs. That shouldn't be the church. And we should be having fun. We know the outcome. Jesus wins. Jesus wins and Jesus won. It's kind of funny for me to say that. The last thing in the last minute and a half. I'm going to take an extra minute. Um, here it is. I'm saying it like Jesus wins and Jesus won, or Jesus won and Jesus wins. And that's the thing. They're both true. Like, already, not yet. Jesus won because he came, he died, and he rose again. Jesus wins because he's winning in my life and in your life right now. Well, it may not look like it. Yeah, but he is. And Jesus will win because when he comes back, then he completely eradicates all evil gives us a new heaven and a new earth, and gives us glorified bodies. So right now, we're in a really good spot, whether we realize it or not. And we can say, yeah, Jesus will win in the future. We can say, Jesus won in the past. We can say, he's winning right now. I don't care how you say it. Jesus won, Jesus wins, Jesus will win, whatever. It's all true. Jesus won. I think possibly the best way to say it is that Jesus won. Because it's already done. The future has happened. Already. God has accomplished it. We haven't seen it realized, but it is. Jesus won. 
There's one thing I want you to take away from the book of Mark, and one thing only. It's this, is Jesus wins. Jesus wins, Jesus won. Say each and every day with full confidence, regardless of what's going on in your life, plunder and pillage the enemy like crazy because you have the authority and power invested in you to do so. And know that despite setbacks and defeats and difficulties along the way, no matter what, Jesus wins. Father, we thank you that Jesus won. There's a lot of hard stuff going on, a lot of stuff we don't understand, lots of stuff we don't agree with, but it's still true. Jesus won. So we pray that somehow, some way, you would drive that deep into our souls so we will never forget and forever be changed. Lord, we love you in our own fallen way. We're thankful for you. We're thankful that we get to be on your team. We're thankful for our Father in heaven who delights in us and gives us his good pleasure to delight in ourselves. Lord, cause us to worship. Cause us to love. Cause us to pillage and plunder and take back. In Jesus' name, amen.